2: This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. We begin with news out of San Diego. An FBI-led operation base there has led to hundreds of arrests worldwide on charges ranging from drug trafficking to money laundering. At a news conference yesterday, acting US Attorney for the Southern District of California, Randy Grossman, said law enforcement officials set up an encrypted communications network which was used by criminals around
3: the globe. For the first time the FBI developed and operated its own hardened encrypted device company called Anum. As we allege in our indictment, criminal organizations and the individual defendants that we have charged purchased and distributed Anum devices in an effort to secretly plan and execute their crimes.
2: The network was shut down on Monday, and more than 9,000 of the phones that had been purchased were still active. All told, authorities seized eight tons of cocaine, 22 tons of marijuana, hundreds of firearms, and more than $48 million in various worldwide currencies as part of the operation. Further north in Los Angeles, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors has voted to expand the unarmed response to people having a mental health crisis there. From KPCC, Robert Gorova has more.
3: The county will explore using federal COVID-19 relief money to beef up its psychiatric mobile response teams. The teams of clinicians are run by the Department of Mental Health. They're an unarmed alternative to the mental evaluation teams at the Sheriff's Department, which pair up a deputy and a clinician. Both departments' teams go out on thousands of psychiatric emergencies every year. There are about 30 of the unarmed mental health teams for the whole county, but demand is so high that response times can be several hours or even a whole day, depending on staffing. Mark Gale is with the National Alliance on Mental Illness.
1: There is absolute chaos going on out there. I talk to families all the time. There's just not enough well-trained clinicians out there to respond to crisis.
3: The supervisors ordered staff to come up with a plan to make the unarmed teams available 24-7. They currently only work full-time during business hours on weekdays, and they don't respond at all between the hours of 2 and 8 a.m. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles.
2: As California prepares to lift most of its COVID-19 restrictions next week, five counties will be able to spend a few days in the least restrictive yellow tier for reopening. Alameda, Napa, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and San Diego counties will all be allowed to loosen capacity limits before the state's scheduled reopening on June 15th. While expressing optimism at a news conference yesterday, San Diego County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten said there are still challenges ahead.
0: The pandemic is not over. June 15th is uh, not the magic date or bullet for uh, declaring that the pandemic is over. It is not. We are still seeing cases,
2: but things are slowing down and that's what's important. Stanislaus County has also moved from the red tier to the less restrictive orange tier. In Sacramento, members of a newly formed union of child care providers rallied Tuesday outside the state capitol. The union is demanding the state show its members the money as it negotiates its very first contract. KQED's Katie Orr was there.
0: Members of Child Care Providers United watch children whose families receive state subsidies to pay for care. Despite California's massive budget surplus, the union says the Newsom administration is not offering any substantial increases to the wages the state pays these child care workers. Union member Nancy Harvey called on Newsom to stop nickel and diming providers. You have the money. Start lifting up child care providers just like child care providers continue to lift up California. The union says the majority of providers are women of color, many of whom were financially devastated during the pandemic. Newsom's office has yet to comment. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
4: Showing your support is easy and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.
2: The federal government plans to reunite more than two dozen families who were separated by the Trump administration's zero tolerance policies in the coming weeks. That's according to a new report from the Family Reunification Task Force that came out yesterday. KQED's Michelle Wiley reports.
0: In a press call Tuesday, ACLU attorney Legal Ernt, who's been representing the separated parents as part of a class action lawsuit, said he was glad to see the 29 families being reunified, and he hopes things will move faster now that there's a process in place.
1: When the president of the United States says that something is an historic moral stain on the country, then I think all red tape needs to go. There can't be any bureaucratic slowness. We just need to get this done
0: more than 2,100 children remain separated from their parents, according to the report. Though Galernt says he believes more families have been reunited than the tally indicates. In a joint statement with New York Congressman Jerry Nadler, Silicon Valley Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren praised the progress of the task force, but said reunification is not enough, and expects future reports to include more detailed plans on how to support these families. For the California Report, I'm Michelle Wiley.
2: It has been two weeks since the first report that President Biden had selected L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti to be the next U.S. ambassador to India. But we are still awaiting an official announcement. Now, there's a new twist in old allegations against Garcetti. Lawyers for journalist Yashar Ali are asking for the release of transcripts of depositions from a lawsuit filed by former LAPD officer Matthew Garza against Garcetti. Garza says former Garcetti advisor Rick Jacobs sexually harassed him when he was a member of the mayor's security detail. According to Garza, the mayor witnessed the harassment firsthand and did nothing to stop it. Yashar Ali joins me now. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So the letter from your attorneys says it is directed at L.A. City Attorney Mike Feuer and attorneys for the former police officer alleging this misconduct by Rick Jacobs. Which deposition transcripts do you want to see made public and who, who are they from exactly?
1: There are two deposition transcripts which have been designated as confidential by the city attorney. One from Naomi Seligman, who is uh, the mayor's former communications director, the second from Jeremy Bernard, who was the president and CEO of the LA Mayor's Fund and a former Obama White House official. The third transcript would be from Rick Jacobs, who is the accused in this case, and his attorney has designated as confidential, but we, we, we noted, my lawyers told the city attorney that they also were seeking to get a copy of that transcript as well.
2: So taking mr jacobs deposition transcript out of it to those other two folks what kind of information do you think might be in there
1: my sources tell me there is information in those deposition transcripts these witnesses have said that the mayor was aware of rick jacobs's history of sexual misconduct and i also understand there's some information about rick jacobs's conduct separate and apart from uh mayor garcetti And, of course, Mayor has never been accused of engaging in sexual misconduct himself. The allegations are about him not doing anything to stop his top aide from engaging in this behavior.
2: So some deposition transcripts in this case have been made public. What is your understanding, Yashar, of why these are not? I mean, is there a possibility that it's not the city that's trying to keep them secret, that maybe it's the witnesses themselves, for example, that want them to be kept confidential?
1: Not on the two transcripts that I've mentioned, from Naomi Seligman, the former comms director, and from Jeremy Renard, the former CEO of the Mayor's Fund. Those two depositions were designated as confidential by the uh, deputy city attorney.
2: Okay. And so you're saying that those two individuals, from your understanding, there's no reason that they would have initiated this push to make them kept sealed, correct?
1: No, there's no question that this has been done by the city attorney. And as I understand it, these two individuals have their own attorneys and have not involved themselves in that respect at all.
2: Mm -hmm. I want to get to, you know, the mayor's response to all of this. But first, you know, I think what's very striking about this story is that you yourself have made allegations against Rick Jacobs. If you're comfortable talking about them, can you just kind of walk us through some of that experience to the extent that you can?
1: Before I was a reporter, I worked in, in California politics at a number of levels. As a result, I got to know Rick Jacobs, who was very had a very prominent role in various Democratic Party causes and committees and, and supporting candidates. And over the course of about 10 years... Uh, almost every single time that I would see him at these political events, he would grab me by the face and forcibly kiss me on the mouth without my consent. Um, and he would do it twice every single time. And it, it went on for 10 years. And as is, is these things go, you sort of learn to sort of ignore it and don't want to make a big deal out of it. It wasn't until this LAPD officer Um, filed his lawsuit that I decided to confront uh, Rick Jacobs about what he used to do to me.
2: Mm -hmm. And Rick Jacobs has denied these allegations. The mayor's office, by the way, referred us to the city attorney's office when we asked them for comment. We know that Garcetti has denied the allegations being made here by Garza in a deposition of his own, that he he's saying that he'd never witnessed Jacobs inappropriately touch Garza or, you know, never heard him make inappropriate comments. How do you square that with what you are hearing and with your own experience with Jacobs, which you have been very open about?
1: There's two things here. First of all, if you know, Rick Jacobs, as long as Eric Garcetti has, uh, and, that, and that's, well, over 15 years, it is impossible to have never seen Rick Jacobs engage in this sort of behavior. It, it, anyone who knows the gentleman here knows that this happens so regularly that it's just impossible that you don't see it. On the opposite, I mean, when we're talking about his role as mayor, there are way too many people that are saying that they saw Garcetti witness this behavior. It's impossible to take Garcetti's word from it, from my perspective as a reporter. Mm -hmm. You know, dozens of people don't lie in unison. And so um, I think Garcetti's just trying to protect himself from accountability here.
2: All right. Well, we will be following this story. Please keep us posted. Yashar Ali, thank you very much. Thank you. Finally this morning, back in 2013, an invasive species of mosquito was first found in California. Aedes aegypti is known to carry diseases like dengue, Zika, and yellow fever. Now, a professor at UC Santa Barbara is using the gene editing technology known as CRISPR to try and contain its spread. From member station KCBX, Benjamin Perper
4: brings us that story. UCSB professor Craig Montell says there's a clear reason why the state would want this invasive species gone.
1: There are 1 billion people, that's with the B, a billion people that get sick from mosquitoes every year. I mean, basically, we have a pandemic every single year from mosquitoes.
4: With that in mind, and with the spread of Aedes aegypti into most of California's counties, Montell set out to find a way to control the species spread specifically by using CRISPR gene-editing technology to target a specific gene tied to fertility in male mosquitoes. If you release sterile males into the general Aedes aegypti population, Montel says, females that mate with them are themselves rendered infertile. That decreases the size of the next generation.
1: And the reason why that's very important is that it's the females that bite you, not the males.
4: Montel and his team concluded that this method of what's called sterile insect technique, or SIT, is an effective way to control the mosquito population that's more environmentally benign than using pesticides. And since Aedes aegypti is not indigenous to California. In most places, it wouldn't be an environmental concern. But Shannon Bennett, a microbiologist with the California Academy of Sciences, says this technology may not be a silver bullet.
2: This might be a great innovative way to scale the removal of Aedes aegypti where it's invasive, but there's a lot of other underlying problems that need to be addressed.
4: Problems like other species of mosquito filling the void if Aedes aegypti were to go away. Bennett says she favors a multi-pronged approach to tackling the mosquito problem in California, like...
2: Educating people to dump the water and put the infrastructure in place to not store water and to live in, a, in screened environments.
4: Montel says it would require public and governmental buy-in to make his plan a reality. In the meantime, he says this technology is potentially only a few years away from being able to do this on a large scale. For The California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in San Luis Obispo.
2: And that is The California Report for this Wednesday, June 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Dramali. Thank you for listening.
0: Support for the California Report comes from SFMOMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam Namjoon Peck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.